This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hello, Giles here. And knowing that we have a family audience, and the purple people often include some very young people, just to say that today's episode does include some language that some people may find uncomfortable or offensive. Hello, and welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. And I suspect if you're a loyal purple person, you will know already what this is about. It is about words. And, well, last year, Giles, we did a bit of a Valentine's Day special, if you if you like. And it was called Irrumpent. And you may remember, I hope, what that means. But anyway, we thought we might return to the theme of love today without getting too schmaltzy, didn't we? We are not going to get schmaltzy. I have in front of me a poem written by my friend, who I love reading her poems, Jane McCulloch. It's simply called A Thought, and it's about growing older, really. And it reads as follows, only two lines. As one decade tips into the next, you are surer of life and less sure of sex. So one doesn't know what is going to happen in one's love life as the years go by. But Valentine's Day is a time when we celebrate the Feast of St. Valentine. Not quite sure who he was. And also we think about love. So we're going to talk about terms of endearment, affection. Yes. So we did talk about St. Valentine's in some depth when we um, when we did that episode, Irrumpent. Just to remind you what Irrumpent means, it's a gorgeous term, actually. And I have to say, it's usually reserved for the buds on the trees as spring arrives. It means bursting forth or bursting into flower. But I guess it sounds a little bit like Rumpy Pumpy, which is why uh, our lovely producers chose it for that episode. But yeah, we're talking about terms of endearment. And you know, in that um, irrumpent episode, we covered the different types of love and we talked a bit about how in ancient Greek and indeed in Old English for a while, we did have distinct words for different categories of love, whether it's one that a parent will feel for a child, whether it's one you feel for your friends or whether it's one that you feel romantically for your, you know, your beloved. And those all disappeared and they were all distilled in that single word love. So today we don't really have a current synonym for love. It is all encompassing and yet still incredibly powerful. But there are some very strange terms of endearment from the past I would like to tell you about. But first of all, when you're talking to Michelle, what what do you call her? You call her darling, don't you? I think I've heard that. It's a phrase that falls all too easily from my lips. Yeah. I, I promise that I'm going to this year, one of my promises for 2024 is to do a little bit less name dropping. But I'm afraid I have to start with a story about being some years ago at a reception at Buckingham Palace, which our international right. listeners may know is the main principal home of our royal family. And I was at this reception, uh, standing in the presence of the then Queen Elizabeth II, and her husband, His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. My wife was there, and also in the group was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And my um, wife said to me at one stage, rather under her breath, I don't think the Queen is appreciating you calling her darling. <laughs> At which point the Duke of Edinburgh then forward and said, I don't think the Archbishop of Canterbury thinks much of it either. <laughs> because I'm in the habit, as people who sometimes work in the theatre are, 
of calling everybody darling. It's yeah. a kind of catch-all phrase uh, of yeah. endearment, of affection. It's meant, no harm is meant by it, but perhaps it's said almost too casually. So I do yeah. call my darling wife, Michelle, darling. What is the origin of darling? Well, that goes back to Old English, and it means little dear one. So oh. the dar bit, the D-A-R, is dear. Um, so that goes back to the Old English for dear, as in um, cherished. And the ling is a little diminutive, so it means my sweet little one. Uh, so it's quite cute, really. And in fact, we do tend to do that with our endearments. We do add a bit of a diminutive. You know, when we talk about people as um, poppets, um, for example, we are affectionately kind of making them little. There, it is often used as a surname, too. Can you name for me the most famous darlings in world literature? The Darling Buds of May? Well, actually, that's not bad. <laughs> no, it's a good answer. I would. Um, oh, I know, in Peter Pan. Indeed. Uh, the yes. darling, they are the darling children, and it's Mr. and Mrs. Darling who are the parents. There was a famous judge called Mr. Justice Darling, and oh. who was considered quite amusing. And um, once uh, he inquired, uh, there was a court case, and somebody mentioned George Roby, who was a very famous musical star. And uh, somebody intervened to say, um, or the judge said, um, this is Mr. Justice Darling, said, uh, and who is George Roby? And the um, KC or QC conducting the case said, oh, uh, George Roby, sir, he is the darling of the music halls. Ah. So you can, a nice little play on words there. Absolutely. Well, had you lived a few centuries ago, you would have had a range of epithets to use towards Michelle, affectionately. So some of them, and I think I may have suggested some of these to you before, some of them may not go down so well, so you might have to wait a little while, whereas others I think are quite cute. So once, should we start with the ones that you need to be careful with? Prawn oh, is a bit of an odd one. So food features quite large. Cabbage from 1722. Prawn. Um, prawn. Prawn and I'm sorry, cabbage. I'm just coping on prawn. My wife is against the crustaceans and she's heard terrible things about prawns having their eyes popped out before you eat them. Ooh. So prawn she would not want to be called. Uh, no. Cabbage, I will just, again, to go on with this name dropping, uh, the late Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, did occasionally call his wife Cabbage. Well, there you go. The first record is from 1722, and it reads, Ha, my little cabbage sprout, one sweet kiss to make it up, and I'll be gone. Well, and also in French, people refer to their loved Petit ones. Choux. Petit chou. Exactly. Yes. Or ma choufleur. Yes, and um, food continues to feature because we have honey bun, we have... A uh, sweet thing. Well, we use crumpet in a slightly different way because crumpet is used in a sexual way, don't we? But we do still go towards food. One that you wouldn't hear these days from the early 17th century is bag pudding, which was somehow used with affection. My little bag pudding. I like it. I can see the affection there. You like that? What about what I do call my wife is sweetheart. Yes. Are we allowed that? Sweetheart is lovely. Yeah. Um, and and that's, is that old? Uh, it's yeah, really old. It's one of the oldest ones that we have. So that's 14th century. Goodness. So it was used both for a child, as it is these days, and towards your lover or your partner as well. And it used to be two words, and then during the Elizabethan time, it came to be one. And of course, in um, in the US, it is used for anything superlative of, of its kind. So you might say that is a sweetheart of a of a hat, Giles, oh. if you wore a hat. So that's another one. Um, there is, well, be careful with these ones as well. Creep mouse. This is where an animal comes Boy. in. Can you guess what a creep mouse might be? No. A bat. 
Oh. It's an old term for a bat. Um, and we used to have flittermouse, which of course comes from the German of Fledermaus, the feathered mouse, uh, which is how the Germans obviously saw bats originally. But yeah, creep mouse is another word for it. But that was once weirdly used as a term of affection. And I do remember telling you about pig's knee from the yep. 14th century, yes. which actually doesn't mean the knee of a pig. It means the eye of a pig. And so actually someone who is especially cherished, you might say, my pig's eye. I mean, I just don't get that one at all. But anyway, it, it was there. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Sounds a bit like ding, dong, but uh, ding, ding was another one. My little um, ding, ding. I'm not sure yeah. about that one. That sounds like, you know, there are people who name their private parts. Um, <laughs> you know. Yes. But then there's some other nice ones that, that I think still would get a look, a look in. Um, sparrow, ladybird, and then, of course, flowers, usually reserved for women. So rosebud, honeysuckle, primrose tart, actually, was there as well. But um, yeah, so some rather surprising ones from, from the past. My, my parents, who met in the 1930s, called mm. each other hen and ducky. Oh, nice. Is, uh, the, uh, is that period talk? I mean, you wouldn't call somebody hen now, or maybe you would in yeah, Scotland. Yeah, you would in Scotland. Would, yes. I think you absolutely would. You'd still hear it a lot these days. I think maybe hen in my parents' case was a variation on hun, I think. Oh, because okay. Because I think they also got, maybe hun is a short for honey. Yes, it would be. Yeah. But yeah. duck is, is a funny one, isn't it? Duck, duck or ducky. Duck has been used since Shakespeare's time. So he uses it oh. in A Midsummer Night's Dream and Ducky. And you have to remember that, you know, much as a group of men might call a woman a bird, um, it's another sort of, you know, use of a sort of animal reference, if you like. There are some distinct themes. But of course, across the UK, but particularly associated with Cockney, London, duck or ducky is used as an affectionate terms of address, much as when I go to Manchester, people will regularly say, you're right, love, or here you go, love. And I really, really like that. I don't find it uh, do I. because it's used actually for both men and women. I don't find these in terms of endearment, patronising or inappropriate. If they're natural, uh, that's fine. Yeah. I'm totally comfortable with them. Yes, yes. me too. Uh, um, what about cherub? I feel, I mean, uh, you're my, my cherub. cherub. Again, this is a period talk, I suppose. I wouldn't bother about that now. Yes. So, I mean, that's really, you know, raising the stakes because a cherub obviously is a winged angel, isn't it? So, it, but it did start to mean a beautiful child um, and we would still use it in that way in the 18th century. And so only a matter of time really before it would be used. I don't know if we would use it of a partner though, a cherub. Possibly, but much more probably for, um, I would say, a child or a little person. But, you know, I may be wrong with that. You have bay nowadays, don't you? Um, I can't quite see you calling <laughs> just Michelle your bay, but maybe you do. No, I don't. I must be honest babe? with you. No. Uh, <laughs> but actually, bay may have occasionally slipped. Yeah, it's possible, actually. Okay, well, that's early 21st century, and that is simply an abbreviation of babe. Um, my bay. Um, so that's usually your your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And babe itself is inevitably a lot, lot older mm -hmm. than that. What, what other ones might you use? I think, I'm just trying to think what I was called when I was little. I think sweetheart, darling, or poppet, um, really, were the, were the ones that I used a lot. What is the nicest thing you think you've been called, both as an epithet, a phrase like that, <gasps> and also maybe the nicest thing that anybody has ever said to you in a romantic situation? Well, 
what hasn't been said, but I would love it to be said, and I'm sure I've told you this, um, there's a film with Jeremy Irons and it's based on, a, I think, on a Pinter play. And one of the characters says to a woman, you dazzle me. And I just thought that is just such an amazing thing to be told. Uh, So, yeah, I'm still waiting for that moment. Um, How about you? Well, there's a line from Shakespeare. When I first met my wife, Michelle, which was now 56 years ago, we appeared in a production of Twelfth Night together at university. She played the part of Viola, and I managed to get myself the part of the sea captain in order to be dear to her. And I think Shakespeare has some wonderful lines about love. And I'm trying to remember which play this comes from, but it's a wonderful thing to say to a loved one. It's from Shakespeare. I would not wish any companion in the world but you. Oh, I look it up for you? Isn't that a great line? I would not wish any companion in the world but you. So if you are looking for a line for Valentine's Day, this year, next year, sometimes never, uh, Shakespeare does it all. I mean, actually, he's got he's got a universal line too, Shakespeare, that I think is good for Valentine's Day because it's it's general. And I know on Valentine's Day there are a lot of people who feel bleak because they think I haven't got anybody. Other people feel, oh, thank goodness, I haven't got anybody. Um, but this is a great line from Shakespeare. Love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. That's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. I've just found the Tempest quote. That's where yours comes from. I would not wish any companion. And it continues. Ah, So it goes, I would not wish any companion in the world but you, nor can imagination form a shape besides yourself to like of. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, And I found it was Betrayal. Um, That was the film I was thinking of. And it had Ben Kingsley in it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Indeed. And I think it was a film written by, a play written by Harold Pinter about an affair that he had. Ah, I wonder if um, he ever uttered those lines, you dazzle me. Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's a lovely thing. Should should we take a break? Yes. And then you can come back at me with your favourite chat-up lines. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I've been waiting for these. Can I say, I've been waiting for years for these, (laughs) Susie. My cat's just walked in, so I'll ask her. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple, where my cat, thankfully, walked in just as Giles was asking me for my favourite chat-up line. So luckily, I no longer have to stare into his eyes over Zoom, and instead I'm looking (laughs) at a very cute Moggy, who is asking me for some treats. Uh, So I don't know what her chat-up line would be in cat's language, but I don't have any chat-up lines, Giles. I just, I don't think I've ever had a little book or diary containing the best ones. Don't you remember when I first met you more than a quarter of a century ago? 
when I came up to you and whispered in your ear, I never believed in love at first sight, Susie, but that was before I met you. <laughs> no, I don't remember because it actually that, never happened. Because as you ne- say, you were 25 years into a that, marriage at that, that point. That did never, never happen. But I love collecting those sorts of ridiculous oh, give lines. give me some more. I'll give you some more. Um, this, is the ch- this is a real chat-up line. If you meet somebody in a bar, yeah. you know, or the pub, you say, you owe me a drink because when I saw you, I dropped mine. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, hello, I seem to have forgot my own phone number. Uh, can I have yours? Aww. That's quite sweet, isn't it? Sort I mean, of. I'm not sure. I think I would just say... Mm. They are all ridiculous. Yeah. But it's but it's quite fun in their, in their own way, in a sense. You know, uh, let's flip a coin. Heads, I'm yours. Tails, you're mine. <laughs> it's, it's a way of, in a sense, a chat-up line like that is a way of getting around an awkward moment, trying to be endearing. One means well. Yes, as long as you mean well. Well, we had a lovely moment in the Countdown studio the other day because we had a contestant called Mark who uh, is about to get married to his lovely fiancée, Annabelle. And they met because she went up to him in the pub and they started talking and he said, what do you like to be when you grow up? She'd actually been a teacher. Um, I think she's now in her 30s. And she said, a lexicographer. And he said, what, like Susie Dent? And because of that, they felt like Mark had to apply to be a contestant and Annabelle had to come along. So it was absolutely, it was really sweet. And they are, um, yeah, getting married, I think on the, actually, they may already be married because it was on the 6th of February. So congratulations to both of them. Well, real congratulations. And it's so much better aligned than I bought you a dictionary since you add so much meaning to my life. (laughs) Or even worse, Oh, let me tie your shoes. I don't want you falling for anyone else. Uh, Yay! Or, uh, I'll give you one more really bad one. Hello, are you a Wi-Fi signal? Because I'm feeling a very strong connection here. Oh, these are all so wind-making. <laughs> they are. They're uh, really, really Not to be dreadful. recommended, purple people. Do not Absolute, use these ones. Don't, don't use these. Don't go <laughs> up to someone and say, I know your birthday. And they say, well, really? Do you? Yes. It's the 10th of October. Really? Yes. You're a 1010 in my book. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. Should we go quickly on to some of our emails from um, the lovely people, with, in case they're still it, listening? Yes. If you've got a great chat-up line, do please send it in. It's purplepeople at somethingrhymes.com, all right? Yes. And um, don't try any of mine because they're hopeless. Like, I need a real estate agent. I really do. Do you know any? I'm trying to make a move here. Yes. Okay, definitely. Let's leave it there. And let's go to our very first um, email. And we have a voice note from Mary Ruth. Hi, Susie and Giles. I'm Mary Ruth from Malaysia, and I've listened to every single episode of your podcast, sometimes more than once, because I'm never able to remember all the new words I learn each week. And it's always a joy to revisit them. I also love your episodes on Pidgin English from around the world, and we sometimes call our Malaysian English Manglish, although it's not as famous as our neighbours Singlish. I also sometimes joke that Manglish could be a portmanteau of mangled English. Now, I'm trained as a biologist and I have a question about the word fluke. Whenever I hear the word fluke, my mind immediately goes to the parasitic worm. But I realize it's more commonly used to describe something good which seemingly happened by chance. But there is also the fluke describing the lobes of a whale's tail and also fluke as a flatfish. Could you please share with us how this word came to mean all these different meanings? 
Thank you and best wishes from Malaysia. Mary Ruth. Mm. Oh, that's a brilliant question. And I have to say, until Mary Ruth got in touch, I didn't really know that there were so many meanings for fluke. I'd not heard of the flatfish called a fluke. Had you? No. Or maybe I had. had maybe you? I had, but I don't think I really thought about it. No, I've definitely never eaten it, that's for sure. Well, there are indeed many, many different meanings. Um, I'll start with the one that we're probably most familiar with, most of us, which is, oh, that was a bit of a fluke. Um, you know, I did really well there, but it was a bit of a fluke. So meaning a surprising piece of luck or something that is unlikely and happens by chance. Um, we're not completely sure where this comes from, but it emerged around the mid-19th century and it began in games such as billiards when it did mean a lucky stroke, so something that the player was especially grateful for. It possibly comes from a dialect word meaning the same thing, but its ultimate origin has been a little bit lost. The fluke that is a flatfish, especially a flounder, that one's a little bit easier because that is from Germanic origin. Um, and there is a word in German that is quite similar, meaning flat, which is flach, which sounds quite like fluke. So that's where that one comes from. As for that sort of triangular plate that you'll find on the arm of an anchor, or either of the lobes of a whale's tail, that probably comes from the fish because of the shape. So the fluke that is everything but the um, the most familiar meaning, that kind of unlikely, happy occurrence is from the flatfish. Um, anything else we're a little bit unsure of, but definitely first used in billiards. Very good. We got time for another one? Uh, I think we do. We have a voice note from Susan Ng. Hi, Susie and Giles. I've become a huge fan of your podcast since I discovered it a few months ago. I have learned a lot over the past few weeks as I have listened to as many episodes as I can. I was having a chat with a friend of mine who lives in Washington State in America the other day, and I happened to mention that someone was having a row with someone at the time we were chatting with each other. She found this comment funny and said that it isn't an expression that she uses in America. It made me wonder how long we have been using the expression here and where it came from originally, and if there are any other similar alternatives we perhaps don't use so much today. Thank you for all your hard work, Susan Ng from Berkshire, England. Well, we have a row with someone uh, a little bit too often, uh, really. And it, it is a bit odd when you look at it because obviously it's a homophone with, um, well, not a homophone, but a homonym of row as in an orderly line and row meaning to propel with oars. And so the sense an orderly line, that row, that's recorded from Old English. It's separate to row meaning to propel a boat with oars because that's also Old English, but it actually goes back to a word used by the Romans for an oar. Remus, Remus, R-E-M-U-S. But the kind of row that results from a heated argument, that's a different word again and has obviously a different pronunciation. And that turned up in English from a completely unknown source out of nowhere in the middle of the 18th century. And all we know about it, and this reminds me of the word humbug actually, Giles, is that it was considered to be vulgar or slang. It was considered to be low speech, but we have absolutely no idea where it comes from. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, Susan. It is a, it is a very odd um, thing, having a row with someone, especially the pronunciation. And all I can say is that the work will go on, but it's not related to the um, words with the same spelling but different meanings to row, or a row, indeed. Isn't it interesting how people's voices tell you something about them? 
I really loved the sound of Susan Ng's voice. Mm -hmm. Those people who know two famous English writers, they were sisters, Margaret Drabble yeah. and her sister A.S. Byatt, who sadly died recently, they, it may be the same generation or the same part of the country, they sound a bit like Susan Ng sounded. And I just love that, the voice. Um, I think it's the voice of somebody who's highly intelligent and interesting. No yeah. wonder we were partly baffled by her question. No, absolutely. And I, I'm sorry if I got com com confused between homophones and homonyms and homographs and that kind of thing. So those are homographs, the row and the and the and not homophones because we pronounce them differently. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah absolutely, very distinctive voice. Um, I think it might be time for my trio. Shall I introduce myself? Please introduce your three special words that we should make a note of. My first word is to explatterate. And to explatterate <laughs> is to talk continuously without interruption, often in a blustering way. Oh dear. But it's a very expressive word, to explatterate. My second word is one I discovered only the other day. It's 19th century US dialect from the south of the US, and it's a twirly blast. Can you guess what a twirly blast might be? Well, I don't know. Is it... Is it like a typhoon? Is there a lot of going around very in circles good. with it? Yeah. It is. It's a whirlwind. Ah, very good. Yeah. Uh, I love, that. I mean, a twirly blast makes it sound a, a little bit innocent, um, but it is rather nice, I think. And the third one is um, one of a whole list of words, including the uh, the term groaning. So there are a whole load of compounds, groaning pie, groaning cheese, groaning beer, groaning malt, groaning cake, and groaning bread. Um, any idea when these were served? At a wake. No. It sounds oh. like the groaning that is a lament, but it's not. It's the groaning of a woman in labour. Oh. So people would be invited to attend the birth, or at least to wait outside. And whilst they were waiting for the happy event, while the woman was positively groaning, they would eat pie, cheese, beer, drink, etc., etc. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> groaning the groaning cake. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Let's hope the, the birth wasn't a twirly blast oh. and that the um, supervising medical staff weren't explatterating as it all happened. Because she indeed yeah, wasn't explatterating either. Um, right. I would love to hear a poem, though. Well, it's Valentine's Day, so I want to read you a love poem. I'm going to give you a choice because it's my present. Uh, you can have a, a modern love poem written by uh, my friend with whom I began this episode, Jane McCulloch. It's the shorter of the two. Or you can have my favourite love poem written by the great Elizabeth Barrett Browning, one of her sonnets. Let's go for that because um, that'll okay. be something different. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you, it's my favourite poem. You will know it. This is a very famous poem, Sonnet 43 by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. How do I love thee? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. 
Oh, that's beautiful. It's an amazing poem. Yes. Written by the extraordinary Elizabeth Barrett Browning, whose own love story, her own story of her and Robert Browning, is a great love story in its own way. Anyway, we remember her. Born 1806, died 1861. Great woman. She was indeed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please do consider, if you think you might fancy it, the Purple Plus Club, where you can listen ad-free. And we have some bonus episodes there on words and language. Of course, what else would we talk about? Something Rhymes With Purple is a Sony Music Entertainment production. It was produced with Nidea, with additional production from Jen Mystery, Charlie Murrell, Ollie Wilson. And he's still here, I think, Giles, isn't he? I hope so. Unless he's out trying out some of my pickup lines, because he's a bit like that. Go on. Yes. So, come on, Richie. Try, try this one. So, when our grandchildren ask how we met, what should we tell them? You say that as the first encounter. Oh, <laughs> that is awful. And I should say that Richie, poor Richie, is looking absolutely exhausted because she, his son is not particularly well. And he is surrounded by the detritus of young children. So I think chat-up lines are going to be the very last thing that he's looking for right now. But it may be what or he maybe needs. the first. <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.